You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. As a church this Advent season, we've been considering Jesus' threefold office, uh, prophet, priest, and king, uh, and how Jesus is the ultimate embodiment of those three leadership offices over God's people, and how Jesus fulfills all that the former prophets and the former priests and the former kings anticipated over so many centuries. As we bring Advent to a close and welcome Christmas tonight, uh, let's attempt to bring all of that together. Let's consider for just a few brief moments how Jesus is the fullness, the fullness of God. I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, and then I'll skip over to the Gospel of John and read John chapter 1, verse 16. Hear now the word of the Lord. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. John chapter 1, verse 16. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Glorious God, your vision of peace and wholeness comes to us in both sweeping revelations and tiny signs of hope. Kindle our hearts that we might be a hopeful people, Keep us, even now, even in this year in particular, from growing weary of waiting so that we do not miss the glory of your appearing. And even so, come soon, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Jesus' incarnation is an incomprehensible mystery which brings inexhaustible grace. An incomprehensible mystery that brings inexhaustible grace. In Jesus, as we read in these two passages tonight, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. All that God is dwells in Jesus. Think about that this evening in this Advent season. All that God is dwells in him. All that was invisible, all that was unapproachable about God the Father. When Jesus Christ took on flesh and entered into the world, all of that became visible and knowable and approachable. And as we read in Colossians, it was his pleasure. It was his joy to partake of flesh and blood, to share in the flesh and blood of those who bear his image, so that as he did that, he might reconcile us to himself and reconcile all things to himself. For the past 2,000 years, people have sought to comprehend this. This marvelous mystery, as it's sung about, that God became man, that the one who birthed all things, the one through whom all things were created, was himself born. That the fullness, the fullness of the eternal, universal, uncontainable Lord of Lords could dwell in a tiny human being, in a tiny baby. Because this so defies comprehension, and because we are so resistant to things that we can't fully understand, 
because it means we're dependent. It means we're not actually ultimately in control. We often become reductionists. We often become reductionists. We hook into some aspect of God, some aspect of Jesus Christ, and we minimize or even do away with the rest. Throughout the history of the church, this is where all of the heresies about Jesus have come from. Some of them emphasizing Jesus' humanity at the cost of his divinity, saying that Jesus was simply like God or empowered by God but was not God himself. Others emphasizing Jesus' divinity at the cost of his humanity. Jesus just appeared to be human, they say, but not the, not the way that you and I are fully human. But the consistent testimony of Scripture to which the church has borne witness over the generations is that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in this fully human body of flesh. He is fully God. He is fully man. And from the fullness of that union, fully God and fully man, we have received grace upon grace. But the incarnation isn't the only place that we're prone to be reductionists. It's also tempting for us to be reductionists when we think about Jesus' threefold office. Over these past few weeks, if you've been with us, we've explored how Jesus the prophet reveals truth. Jesus the priest embodies love by the sacrifice of his own life and by his intercession for us. And Jesus the king reigns in power. He brings order into the chaos. He makes peace by reconciling, but also by putting down all rebellion that persists against him. All of us are drawn to one or maybe two of those more than the other. And I'd ask you to consider tonight, which is it for you? Which of these offices of Christ are you most naturally appreciative of? On the flip side, which one or two of these for you is the hardest for you to appreciate? And this Christmas, I invite you to consider this not as an intellectual exercise, but because when we reduce Jesus to something less than he is, something less than the fullness of God, we are experientially distancing ourselves from the grace, from the grace upon grace that he holds out to us. That grace comes to us, that grace sustains us precisely because of the fullness of who Jesus is. So if Jesus is only a prophet, then we have truth. But what of love and what of power? It's an impersonal and an impotent truth. If Jesus is only priest, we have love. But what of truth and what of power? Love devolves into fuzzy feelings and good intentions. If Jesus is only king, then we have power, but what of love and what of truth? Raw power without love and without truth is tyranny. How could we trust him? Let's keep going. If Jesus is a prophet and a priest, but not a king, well, now we have truth and love, but no power. The right foundation, the right heart, but no ability to enact it, and therefore, no peace. If Jesus is prophet and king, but not a priest, then we have truth and we have power, but no love. And maybe then we may as well just be cogs in God's machine. 
nameless, faceless minions in God's kingdom who perhaps know truth, but impersonally, not enjoying the reconciliation, the restoration of our relationship with God that we were all designed to have. Or lastly, if Jesus is priest and king, but not a prophet, then we have love and we have power, but we're left with this nagging sense that none of it's real. Wondering if gospel hope is merely subjective, is merely this existential thing rather than something true and concrete, something you can hang your whole life on and something that can hold you as well. Can you identify your own tendencies, your own proclivities in this? Can, can you see, because all of us are, myself included, can you see where you are pr prone to reduce Jesus into something less than he is? And can you see, maybe just a little bit this evening, how that will rob you of resting in the fullness of God, the grace upon grace that is held out to you from his fullness, as the Apostle John put it. Thanks be to God, Jesus is all of these things. For the life of the world and for your life, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. As I said earlier, the incarnation is an incomprehensible mystery that brings inexhaustible grace. And this has been a year, I think you'll agree, where we have needed grace and more grace and more grace Constant change, disappointments, cancellations, isolation, illness, for some of us, painful loss. For all of us, a year which has tested and tried and exposed deeply entrenched sin patterns, thoughts and words and actions and deeds and motivations that remain in our lives. But because the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, for all of those things, whatever you have seen exposed in your life this year, whatever you have been through this year, whatever you will go through, because this isn't over, upon you, upon all of these things, there is grace. There's the grace of truth for you to stand in a world that believes and tells you lies. There's the grace of love that draws you near and because he ever lives to intercede, never lets you go. And there's the grace of power that actually will put an end to all that has gone wrong. That actually will one day make God's blessings flow as far as the curse of sin is found. This Christmas, embrace the fullness of who Jesus is. He is our prophet, our priest, and our king. The fullness of God. And in seeing Jesus for who he is, in embracing his fullness... May you be renewed in grace. May the fullness of his grace wash over you and sustain you today and tomorrow and each day until the second advent of Christ when he comes again in glory. As I close this in prayer, I'm going to use a prayer based on the Apostle Paul's words from Ephesians chapter 3. As we've seen that Jesus is the fullness of God, Paul prays an incredible thing in Ephesians 3. He prays that you and I would experience also that fullness, that, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God, is how he puts it. So let me pray that over us, over you this evening. God, our Father, 
According to the riches of your glory, grant that each of us would be strengthened with power by your Spirit. As Christ came to dwell in this world among rebellious and broken and sinful men and women like us, may Christ now dwell in our hearts through faith. Rooted and grounded in love, we ask that you would give us strength to comprehend what is so overwhelmingly incomprehensible the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ and the grace of God that he has secured for us by his fullness. It surpasses our knowledge. And all thanks be to you, it surpasses the worth of everything else. Because of the fullness of Jesus, the fullness by which we have received grace upon grace, preserve us, sustain us with hope and with joy until he comes again. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.